Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome to episode 61 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and on this fine Sunday evening, joining me is a freaking guest of the show, uh, you know, borderline co-host at this point, Scott Coleman. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. Good to be back. Glad, uh, glad the Braves were able to win at least a couple this week after a rough start to the year. For sure. Uh, as we record this, the Braves have now won four in a row. They are uh, they are three zero against the uh, the juggernaut San Diego Padres over the weekend. Uh, there's still one game to go there, but uh, it obviously helps that the Padres are, uh, shall we say, very very bad at baseball. But uh, always good to win four games in a row here. The Braves are now five and six, which is a uh, a far cry from one and six. So uh, with all small sample size theory out of the way, uh, it's good to have them win some baseball games, if nothing else. And I mean, the Padres definitely helped there, but the Braves are, you know, sort of independently playing better as well. Yeah. And, you know, somebody mentioned, hey, did the did Major League Baseball throw the Braves a bone with with the Padres to open Centrest Park? I don't know if they did or not, but it was kind of nice playing the Padres as compared to maybe the Cubs or the Dodgers or something like that. Um, and you know, it was a nice to win the first three at SunTrust. They'll of course go for the four game sweep on, on Monday night. Um, but you know, it, they've played better too. I think there were some, some opening season jitters, uh, especially in New York and Pittsburgh. And it's also not very easy to play baseball when it's like 40 degrees outside. So I think getting to a little bit of warmer weather certainly helped too. For sure. And you know, it's all, it was kind of just sort of a weird week to start things off. I did two podcasts, like quick episodes uh, earlier last week and, uh, you know, playing in the snow and stuff like that in Pittsburgh. It's just sort of a weird schedule and the Braves having two off days within a, uh, what was it, a five-day stretch they had two off days. It was basically just bizarre. Uh, now they're sort of back into a sort of a rhythm here. Uh, the Padres are, again, quite bad, and but it's good. I mean, I've talked talk about this on a, re- on a recent podcast with Zach Dillard and Corey McCartney about just kind of uh, being a little bit worried if the Braves couldn't take care of the Padres, and, but the fact that they actually did that. Um, at worst, they're going to win three or four, and they could they could have a four-game sweep, depending on what happens on Monday. That's kind of what you need to do. You need to beat bad teams at home, especially, and uh, it's good to have uh, the fans be treated to some positive baseball. I actually was there on Saturday, which was interesting. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that or not, but it was, it, you know, the Central Park is definitely an interesting place. I think it's definitely a, uh, it's more of a baseball stadium than Turner Field was. I, that's my first uh, takeaway. That's my, that might sound funny, but Turner was always so sort of hulking uh, when, when compared to a lot of these baseball stadiums around baseball and um, SunTrust has a more cozy. Uh, you can obviously tell that it was built straight straight for baseball, nothing for for nothing else. And I like that about it. Good sight lines, things like that. So I enjoyed SunTrust. Uh, obviously, getting the win on Saturday when I was there was the was the most fun. But even Friday, some of the heroics from Ender Enciarte were fun. Um, it's it's kind of cool that he was the guy who was basically just littering the record book with the firsts all all across the board at SunTrust. So uh, and he's actually been very good lately. So it's good to see the ballpark for sure. I know I know you have not seen it yet, obviously. 
obviously Scott being in Arizona, but uh, I can vouch for the fact that it is very cool. Even if people are still mad that it's not uh, in downtown Atlanta, I, I enjoyed my trip. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Again, as an out of towner, um, I'm out, I'm far out West. Um, I know though the battery isn't open yet. Is that right? Uh, it's partially open. There's like, I want to say there's like, you know, 30 or 40 restaurants and spots and only like five or six of them are open. So like, it's very, it's very partially open. The places that are closest to the entrance are sort of open at this point. And you, and you can tell, like I walked through there, you can tell what it's going to be when it's popping and it already kind of is. And obviously that opening, opening weekend atmosphere was nice because of the fact that people are there early. Um, people are, are excited to go see the ballpark. I got there probably two and a half hours before, before first pitch on Saturday, just because I wanted to see everything. And the place was already sort of buzzing, which is not going to happen. Uh, when, when you get into in into July and August at five, at five o'clock on a Tuesday, it's not going to be it's not going to be bouncing like that. But uh, in the same breath, the battery stuff will help, and uh, you can tell that it's already coming together. It's not fully there yet. There's a lot of uh, like sort of empty spaces and spaces that are still being built. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's getting there to be sure. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I'm not sure. Maybe others aren't doing this, but as an out of towner, I thought I would wait till 2018 to kind of get all the kinks out, and the team will probably also be a little bit better next year, which will help. But um, it seems like from what I've heard and, and read, it seems like it's been pretty smooth this first week. And as with anything, there, there's kinks to work out and stuff that needs to be fixed and everything like that. But um, and maybe it was just so, so much of the local news and media and everyone just kind of cautioning people and worrying about all the traffic headaches and the parking headaches. Uh, it seemed to go pretty smooth. And, and that's good to hear because you never want your first experience at a park to just be a nightmare. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, I, I went ahead and bought parking ahead of time because that's what they were telling people to do, and that was that proved to be the right decision. Uh, I can't imagine what you would be doing if you didn't have pre pre-purchased parking at this point. That's the kind of uh, you know PSA that I would give to anybody coming in uh, buy parking. They tell you to do that. Um, they strongly encourage you, I should say, on the Braves website and things like that. But you absolutely should prepay for parking unless you're going to Uber. That's the other option. I would not try to park down there without a pass. That would be a bad idea. As someone who uh, I sort of drove around before I got to my lot, just kind of seeing what the landscape was and did not see a single lot that was not uh, pre-parking so uh go ahead and do that that would be my suggestion for especially for the out-of-towners what's parking, what's parking like like 15 20 bucks yeah i mean I, the, there's different levels uh the ones that are further away i believe are 10 i want to say but there are some of those that are that are a real hike if you look if you look at the map that the Braves have given out about the uh the stadium map and the parking map there's some of those that are a real hike away um, that are ten dollars. Uh, I I parked in a fifteen dollar lot that was very very close and convenient. So if you want to spend the extra five like I did, I uh, just wanted to get a little bit closer to the door. That's that worked out well. Um, and again, if you're going to be going all the time, uh, that stuff that stuff starts to uh, sort of rack up. And I would maybe especially if you live near there, I might explore Uber and not try to worry about parking. But uh, my big thing would just be get parking ahead of time because it's not it's huh. not going to end well for you if you do not if you try to drive down there and try to park somewhere because you're either going to be parking a long long way away or you'll be pay, paying a lot of money I would imagine. Yeah, it seems like too they were pretty smart scheduling that exhibition with the Yankees and um, I know Georgia and Mizzou played a college game about a week ago so they at least went into this having the idea of getting some test runs in there some practice swings if you will. Uh, just so it wasn't kind of Armageddon as, as 45,000 people or whatever it is came on opening night. 
Yeah, that was smart. Uh, they, they did the, the exhibition and the college game on the, on the Saturday, and they, they were prepared. There were some credit card issues and stuff like that in the, in the stadium that I've heard about from people and ex, even ex, you know, sort of saw firsthand. But besides, aside from that, they were definitely prepared to go. And I, I didn't think it was uh, any sort of disaster. Of course, I was there night two, but you know, night one, I had a lot of people that uh, I knew that were there and seemed to be enjoyed themselves. So without getting just too deep in sun trust, I definitely enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see what, what, the, what the returns are uh, long term, because obviously right now they're, they're in the honeymoon period we'll see what happens longer and there's always gonna be the contingent of people that are very very upset about it because of where it is and i understand that too but uh you know just from a pure ballpark perspective i, I enjoyed the visit so there's that um sure. uh without getting uh, away from oh also one one baseball note i was there for the brandon phillips home run on saturday that thing was an absolute rocket like uh, yeah. I, I was sitting. Yeah. Le- I was sitting left field upper deck, and off the bat, it was clear I think it was going out by a long, long way. So, just a little baseball nugget there. When I was there, that that ball was absolutely crushed, and he's been really good lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Phillips, actually, let's just talk about him now. Phillips has been good. Um, uh, actually, you know, kind of sneaky good. He was he was the best player um, for the Braves on Sunday in their nine to two victory. Uh, the easily the the best win so far on the schedule. Uh, Phillips was three for four in that game of three RBI, two runs scored. Um, we actually got a question. Then let's just jump to it now. Um, basically, uh, I think it was Gre- yeah, Greg V asked if Brandon Phillips keeps playing this well, how does it affect Ozzy Albies coming up this season? Obviously, caveat of small sample, and I'm not. St- I'm still not. I, w- I won't say that I'm a huge believer in Brandon Phillips, but. If he does play, you know, at least reasonably well for a while now, what's that? What, what, do you, what do you think that actually means for Ozzy? I think it, it works out best for everyone because it lets Ozzy get a, either close to or an entire full season in AAA, something he could really benefit from. Um, you know, people we always talk about Ozzy, and, and he is a, a fine young prospect, a fine young player, but because he's been with kind of in the Braves's. Um, upper echelon of prospects. It feels like he's a guy who's 24 or 25. He's still just 20 years old. Um, doesn't really have a whole lot of at bats above uh, even the double A level at this point. Um, so somebody who could could use all the seasoning in the world. Um, he's not a big guy, so he's still probably coming into some of his his grown man strength, if you will. Um, so really, I think the ideal situation is that Phillips continues to play well all season long, or at least. Um, well enough until the all-star break and the Braves are able to flip him, uh, you know, before the deadline. Um, but as far as that goes with Ozzy, I think it, it lets him continue to, to grow in the minor leagues. And, and hopefully then whenever uh, he is called upon, whether it be after the trade deadline, uh, you know, in September, once rosters expand or if an injury happens um, or if it, you know, if it's opening day 2018, uh, I think it only benefits him and benefits the Braves in the long run. Yeah, I think that's sort of the thing that people, I'm glad you said that because people have sort of uh, become this notion that, you know, if Ozzy's not up in the next couple of months, it's like some sort of failure or that he's not been playing well. I think he, he could probably be, be great this year and never come up. If Phillips is good all season long, which again, I'm skeptical of, but if he is good, um, I would probably trade him if I was the Braves. But if they don't do that, he's on the roster. Um, there's no reason that they have to call Aziabas up this season. They're just there's not. Um, it'd be fun to have him around uh, by by all means because he's an, an intriguing young player. But he's still incredibly young. So I mean, the question's not crazy at all. I mean, I know people want to see Ozzy, but um, if he's not up this year, it's probably a good thing. If he's healthy and not up, I should say it's probably a good thing that because that, that means Phillips is playing well. Um, but we'll see. I can't. I guess. I guess there's a, there's a point of returns where Ozzy's playing so well that the Braves just 
can't leave him down. But I mean, what's that threshold look like to you? Like if he's, he, he's, he's, he's had a pretty encouraging start, but like, what would he have to be doing to like will himself in the lineup? It has to be something pretty crazy. I'd imagine. Yeah. He would have to be hitting like 400 with power and walks <laughs> and, uh, you know, pristine defense. I, there's really just no, he could have an 1,000 OPS in AAA. I still, and if, as long as Brandon Phillips is playing even decently well, I still don't see a reason. Um, I, I guess if the Braves were uh, around the All-Star break and all of a sudden they're you know within a game or two of a playoff spot, maybe they consider bringing Ozzy up if he's just killing the ball. But even then, um, if things kind of go as, as they're expected to go, I really think that, that Ozzy would benefit from a full year down in, in Gwinnett and um, as you said, it's it's not a punishment at all against him. It's no. not like the Braves are holding him back. Um, again, he's 20, only has so many at-bats um, you know, higher than, than the AA level. Um, he should be getting good experience playing every night because it made no sense to bring him up if he isn't going to play every single day. Um, so really at this point, I think um, barring an injury to Phillips, I really can't imagine they bring Ozzy up anytime soon. Yep, it's injury or trade because I, I mean, if, if, if Phillips is so good and the Braves are not in it, maybe they look to trade him, and that'd be the smart thing to do to maximize that value. But aside from that, a long way to go there. But yeah, I, I didn't mean to get necessarily sidetracked there fully, but uh, worth noting that we got the question, and Phillips has been quite good lately, which is fun because I mean, for as much as I am skeptical, I'm, I'm hope he's good all year long. So we'll see if that happens. Um, before we get into some news, I did have one hilarious observation from the weekend. Did you happen to see the Freddie Freeman slide at second yes. base on Saturday? Yes. Freddie, yes. Freddie is. The the worst slider I've ever seen, I think. Yeah. It's like a quarterback who doesn't know how to slide to like avoid a hit, so he just kind of tumbled to the ground. That's it was incredible. I I mean, yeah. uh, Anderson Simmons was famous for not being able to slide, um, which was hilarious because he was so good at everything else, but um, he couldn't slide. But that Freddie slide was a, was an all timer. It was like he, I don't even know, how, I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, uh, they showed they showed the replay. I was that was the night I was there. They showed the replay in the park, and like everybody cracked up. And that's knowing that it's Freddie Freeman. It's like even doubly hilarious if that had been anybody it would have been funny but like that's your best player like once you realize that he's not hurt because at this moment i was like whoa that did not look good at all and then he got up and i was like okay that's just a this, that's just a terrible slide and that's all yeah generally but, the six five 240 pound white guys generally don't slide super well um hopefully for the brave sake he doesn't have to slide like that too much more uh because you just worry about the big guy getting injured going down like that yeah, that was my biggest concern. And once he got up, I was like, okay, everything's fine. And we could just make fun of the fact that he has no idea how to slide, apparently, um, despite being a superstar player, <laughs> which is, I don't know. I don't know how that happens. It was, uh, yeah, it was pretty it was funny. amusing. Yeah. Um, with that said, there's some news to get to. Uh, since the last time I, where I recorded this uh, with, uh, with Zach and Corey, uh, Matt Kemp Fisher went on the DL. He's almost off the DL now because uh, of the blessing of the 10 day DL. Yeah, uh, I like this a lot. I, I think it's so much better than the 15 day. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird, I will say. I, I'm not really used to it yet because of the fact that I think teams are going to exploit it, and they probably already have been um, exploiting it in some different ways. But um, Mark Bowman indicates that Kemp can, uh, is probably going to come off the deal on Wednesday as we record this, which we see he's only missed a couple more games. Um, in his absence, the Braves brought up Johan Camargo, which tells you a lot about the Braves' uh, ability to call anyone up um, because Camargo... Is you know it's kind of he's fine I guess but um, that's an uninspiring call up but the big thing is that Kemp looks to be you know close to coming back. Are you worried at all that's going to linger? When I actually asked that question to Zach and Corey last time on the podcast, we all kind of said no, um, and then of course he won the DL like I don't even know three hours later something like that. Um, but are you worried at all that you know being a soft tissue injury that might linger a little bit, or you can you know with him being set set to come back on Wednesday, it's probably encouraging. 
Yeah, and it doesn't sound like he's going to need a rehab stint. Kent, uh, I was reading that Kemp had a, a pretty nasty lingering hamstring injury back in 2012 when he was really kind of in his prime with the Dodgers. And, and he said, uh, they, I think he told the LA Times or somebody um, that it really kind of bothered him for months just because he didn't take, you know, two or three weeks just to rest and recover and get back to 100%. Um, you know, as a veteran, uh, it, you know, we're, we're on games, you know, five to 15 at this point when he went on the disabled list. So um, for the Braves sake and for Kemp's sake, I think they, they played it more than than cautiously, which is the right move. Um, you know, I guess if he comes back on Wednesday and he pulls a hammy trying to stretch out a double, uh, then we'll be in trouble. But um, I think it was more precautionary than anything. And hopefully he's he's back and hitting like he was because uh, Kemp really was pretty great those first couple nights. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be that good, as we all know, but uh, they definitely need his bat in the lineup. You know, his defense is another issue altogether, but um, with the way that he has hit since arriving in Atlanta, I'm still not 100% sold that he's that guy, but if he's anything close to that, they need him because the, the, rest, the rest of the offense is okay-ish, but uh, he's yeah. an inspiring guy in the middle uh, when compared to basically everyone but Freeman on this offense. So we'll see what happens yeah. there. Um other news stuff, Tyler Flowers has a hamstring strain reportedly. is not on the DL yet as, at the time of this recording on Sunday night, but um, not great because the catching situation, as we kind of all know, is not not ideal. Uh, Flowers has actually been playing really well this year. Uh, he has a, He's actually hitting 407. Uh, with that said, only one extra base hit, a lot of bad bet luck in there, but Tyler Flowers has been good. And actually, hilariously, his caught stealing percentage is pretty good this year. He's thrown out three or four guys already, which is uh, – not not a huge deal for most catchers, but for Tyler Flowers, it's like earth-shattering news that he's not been uh, absolutely awful at throwing out runners. So um, him being down for any length of time is not going to be great. Um, and there's a report from Mark Bowman, actually, that if Flowers hits the DL, it's going to be Rio Ruiz coming up. So lots to unpack there. But what's the, uh, just, I guess, just, just a catcher for now, what's the uh, prognosis if Flowers has to hit the DL? Um, how terrifying is it to roll out the uh, combination of Kurt Suzuki and Anthony Wrecker? Uh, it's not ideal, that's for sure. Um, you know, Flowers is who he is at this point in his career, but when he is, he's one option, the other two are Kurt Suzuki and, and Anthony records, he kind of looks like Buster Posey all of a sudden. Um, so you hope that it was a minor thing. He, whenever he did it, if you watch the replay, it wasn't like a grab and hold at your hamstring, like, like he was going to be out for weeks, if not months. So hopefully it's just a tweak. I'm just about positive. He'll miss Monday night's game, maybe Tuesday. Um, hopefully he isn't out the next 10 days, but um, if he is out, that would be a real strain for the Braves, uh, just considering you want neither Suzuki or, or Wrecker. Um, both of those guys at this point in their careers are probably fringe backups, let alone somebody that you're going to have starting uh, starting most nights. It's kind of funny. We just talked about the 10-day DL. This is a situation where the Braves don't have to use it because they have two catchers. Um, for yeah. as much as we don't like, necessarily, at least I don't like carrying three catchers, um, this actually provides a little, a little bit of cover if they don't want to use the DL, um, which is, I don't know, it's kind of a weird situation because the 10-day DL probably makes people want to use it more, but in this case, they don't they still don't have to use it if they don't want to. But yeah, Monday seems to be out the window at this point. Um, I mean, it's worth noting that Anthony Rector's been on the roster all season long, and he has two plate appearances. Um, yeah. So carrying the third catcher has not been a tremendous boon to this point in time. Uh, I'm okay with him not hitting a lot, but uh, just the entire notion of him being on the team is kind of strange to me. And I think that's going to be Ryan Howard's spot sooner rather than later if um, Tyler Flowers is uh, able to play baseball. If he's not, though, then record becomes your backup catcher and you have to fill a spot. Um, Moving on from that, I mean, Rhea Ruiz was the name that uh, Bowman re- referenced uh, specifically. I think you said even before we started recording this that is Rio the only, I think it might be the only healthy bat on the 40-man roster that's not already on the team? 
I think so. I, I don't have the 40 man in front of me. Um, I'll get it up think, while you talk. <laughs> yeah, I think he is. And that's also kind of scary. Um, I mean, like Micah Johnson, of course, was injured. Um, you know, Chase Darno is already with the big, te- big club. Uh, Jace Peterson, of course, Emilio Bonifacio, the two catchers, which you mentioned. Um, I'm trying to talk slowly so you can pull up the 40 no, man. No, I mean, but, I, uh, I've, I've got it. I mean,. <laughs> Because, because yeah, because Camargo is already on the team. Yeah, Ruiz is the only uh, other guy that's not already on the roster that's uh, on the forty man. So looks like it's going to be Rio. I'd imagine unless they go with another pitcher. Huh. I suppose they could go with a pitcher if they wanted to expand the uh, bullpen back to where huh. it's supposed to be originally. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, even then, I don't know who they would use to. I mean, they already, yeah, they don't really have the obvious guy there either, to be honest. So they've already know. played musical chairs with the. Chaz Rowe being bad, so they just DL'd him instead of, of instead of uh No no uh, Scott. Chaz Rowe, Chaz, Chaz Rowe was injured. Don't get don't get it twisted now. Chaz Rowe was injured. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think he's, it was like a tired lat muscle or something like that. I imagine most most baseball players have sore lats at this point in the season. Um but yeah, if, if they have to DL flowers, I guess it would be Ruiz and uh that'd be exciting just for the fact that I hope he would hit like six home runs in three games and the Braves would stop playing Adonis Garcia so much, but um, my guess is Ruiz would just be a pinch hitter for a couple nights and just kind of be a bench bat until until Flowers got back. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people will wonder this. You know, Ruiz was already up last year, so there's no concern with service time, even if there was one. And uh, you know, I talked about this before we started recording, but Rio's not really the type of, type of player that you're going to worry too much about that anyway. And that's probably why the Braves brought him up last year at the end of the year. So uh, no reason that he couldn't go, come up and go back down again if they wanted to do that. Uh, I'm all aboard the Rio train. I think he should be playing more um, at third base than Garcia at this point in time. Which actually brings us to an interesting mailbag question that we got. Actually, it's sort of a bridge um, from Matt. I believe it's Kreitzberg. I'm sure if I mispronounced that, but uh, I tried my best. Um, he says, with Adonis hitting so poorly against right-handed pitching, is it time to platoon him with Rio or Jace? Uh, just a little bit of background. Um, it's a very, very small sample, but Garcia is 3 of 37 this year against right-handed pitching. Um, not great. But last year, he did have a 700 OPS and 411 play appearances, so it's not like he can't hit right-handed pitching at all. It's not a situation where he's like a complete zero there, but um, I'm wondering how you feel about that. Like if... I mean, we talked about this before, but now that we're in now, now that we're in season, we can kind of see it up close and personal with Rio being the only option. Sort of, uh, would would a platoon with those two guys appeal to you? And if not Rio, would you would you want to see a, a Jace um, Garcia platoon if they wanted to send uh, if they wanted to send Rio back down? Throughout the spring, I kind of you know banged the drum for Rio to to at least open the season, even if it was in a platoon in Atlanta. Um, and I, I still obviously feel that way. And, and Garcia has kind of done what, what I would imagine most expected him to do. Um, at this point, I, for whatever reason, the Braves really seem to like Adonis. And, um, and you know, it's not like he's a dislikable guy or doesn't try or anything like that. But I just, I just don't get it. You know, he, he's like a 32-year-old um, kind of journeyman at this point. And, um, and maybe they want to get Ruiz more seasoning in the minor leagues, though he's gotten a full year in AA and a full year in AAA at this point. So it's not as if he just kind of breezed through the upper levels and hasn't seen you know anything above an A ball curveball so far. Uh, you know, to me, it, it I don't really care who platoons with Adonis, whether it's Jace or it's uh, Rio. I would like to see Rio get a shot because I think he could be at least a, a serviceable platoon member. Um, but we'll have to wait and see what kind of shakes out with the injuries and everything like that. But ideally, uh, Adonis Garcia is not starting 140, 150 games for the Braves at their base this year. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I mean, I'm at the point now where I, th- I just think Jay should be playing more in general. Like during this time where Matt Kemp has been injured, we've, we've now seen Bonifacio and Darno get starts in left field. I just, 
you know, play Jace Moore for me. Yeah. I mean, he, he's better. He's better than both those guys left field. And uh, I would make the argument that he's um, at least against right-handed pitching, probably better than Garcia at third base too. So just get him in the lineup more often at one of those two spots, at least while Kemp is out of the lineup. Obviously when Kemp's back, um, you go back with Jace being in that super utility role. But for now, like just play the guy more. I mean, it's driving me. Every, every time they put out a lineup that has Bonifacio or Darno Dar- 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 playing left field, I just kind of shake my head a little bit. It's a small yeah. thing because it's early, but I don't know. Those guys are just, I don't know. Neither of those guys just inspire too much uh, confidence in me uh, in general, uh, much less as a starting player. We've seen the way that uh, Snickers used uh, Bonifacio as a pitch hitter too. It's kind of, kind of kind of infuriating so far, but it's still so early that I'm trying not to get worked up about it. Yeah, and I'm, and again, it's we're still in the, the part of the season, first week, first two weeks of the year, where everything kind of gets magnified, and it shouldn't get as magnified as much as it does uh, when you consider that the Braves have played like, I don't even know what, three or four percent of their season so far. Um, but at the same time, you know, every game kind of matters, and the Braves have kind of put this emphasis on on at least being somewhat competitive. Um, I'm with you. I, I don't like to see Emilio Bonifacio starting big league games at this point. Um, same for Darno, um, but again, we'll see. And it's it's really not you know if the if the Braves were competing for a World Series, they'd be a little more concerned about it. Yes. Um, but but hopefully Kemp's able to come back and just kind of do his thing, stay healthy and left, and uh, everyone else can kind of slide down a spot on the roster. For sure, and uh, we'll keep an eye on third base. But uh, for now, it's Adonis every day, and that's not going super well so far. But a small sample, and he was better than I thought he'd be last year. So maybe he'll repeat that. Um, if he can wake up here, a couple more bits of news. Um, you mentioned the Chaz Rowe, uh, lat strain at the end of the deal um, with <laughs> the lat strain, I should say. Again, um, Jason Hirsch came up for him originally. He's now back down, and Luke Jackson is up. For those of you who don't remember, and I had to look this up myself, Luke Jackson uh, was the guy who the Braves acquired in the Tyrell Jenkins trade with the Rangers. Um, Jackson has not appeared in a game yet, but uh, he's up 25-year-old right-hander. I'm not sure how long he'll be up. Uh, all eyes on Mauricio Cabrera for that final bullpen spot at some point, um, but he's not ready just yet. So right now, it's, right now it's Luke Jackson. Do you have a huge take on Luke Jackson, Scott? You know, they actually tried him out as a starter down in Gwinnett, and he struck out a bunch of guys. And, and had, I want to say he was originally a starter, and then the Rangers made him a reliever. So yep. I'm going to guess that they just kind of brought him in uh, because he was at least stretched out. So if, if the team got blown out and Cole Mentor wasn't available and they needed two or three innings, uh, you know, Jackson could at least could at least physically do it. You know, I don't think, a, you know, an Ian Kroll is primed right now to throw 40 or 50 pitches if he had to. So, um, I, as you said, I would imagine Jackson's only up. Um, the fact that the Braves are at least looking at him as a starter, once again, is, is interesting. Um, I would imagine they'll, you know, he's only 25, as you mentioned. I would imagine they'll at least give him a, another shot to try to stick as a starter because uh, that's where all the value would lay. But um again and as was the case in the last couple weeks of spring training there's really about five or six guys who are going to just kind of play the musical chairs all year long in the back of the bullpen um and jackson's one of those guys and i would imagine that that he'll be sent down once once cabrera is healthy for sure unless something else happens and at the end of the bullpen there's you know there's three or four guys who we know are going to be around all year unless they get injured um but aside from that it's pretty flexible and uh so Cabrera gets back, and it might be uh, an open door. But there's just kind of just a note to say that uh, Rose Rose not around. Hirsch has now gone up and down, and then now that now it is Luke Jackson. 
Uh, final note in terms of news, uh, AJ Minter is on the DL now with a groin strain. Uh, that's a minor league DL stint, but uh, because Minter's been uh, in the news a lot, it's worth me- worth mentioning here because he was a guy a lot of people thought might be in the bullpen by the middle of the season. Um, been kind of a nightmare a couple of months for Minter after he had has had some elbow stuff and now now a groin thing. Um, just more of a note than anything else, but uh, yeah. any, any, any timetable stuff on him is definitely being pushed back um, further and further with every injury that he has. Yeah, and I would imagine the Braves are bringing him along slowly anyway, just because he's still about two years removed from his his Tommy John surgery. So um, I I can't imagine pitching with a groin injury is any fun, and and I would think that it'll be at least a couple months before we see uh, before we see Minter in the big leagues. Yep, uh, un- unfortunate because that guy is uh, a monster when healthy. At least has the profile of being one. So keep an eye on him. Um, a couple of guys I wanted to ask you about in the outfield uh, diff- for different reasons. Uh, Nick Marcakis has been uh, quite good this year. Uh, again, very small sample. We keep, we'll keep, we say that for another month probably. But uh, 48 plate appearances has a 512 slugging percentage, which is my favorite part about this line. Also 396 on base percentage, 293 batting average. Uh, Marcakis has been quite good at the plate after a kind of an ugly uh, first couple of games where he struck out a lot. Um, anything encouraging in Marcakis' profile here that you've seen? Uh, I mean, obviously he just looks good, but um, yeah. given the way that he's not hit for a ton of power recently, this is a, a, a nice mirage if nothing else. Yeah, somebody mentioned the other day, I don't remember who it was on Twitter, but they mentioned that uh, Mark Hakus, since his first three or 400 plate appearances with the Braves, uh, his OPS is like in the mid-8s. It's like 850. Yeah, I saw that too. Pretty great. Um, yeah, you know, Mark Hakus always kind of has the stink next whenever you hear his name just because so many people um, didn't understand the, the signing when it happened two years ago. And it was still kind of an odd one when you look at just kind of the past couple seasons and how the team performed. But he's really hit pretty well. He's honestly, other than, than Freddie, he's been uh, unquestionably the team's best hitter over the last uh, year and a half. Not that this team was, you know, an offensive juggernaut by any means, but he seems to be healthy. Um, it sounds like that neck surgery really did kind of pull away all of his strength and power that that first year in Atlanta. And if he's able, as you as you touched on, if he's able to keep driving the ball and uh, you know get some extra base hits, some doubles in the gap, a couple homers, um, there, there's still value in there. And, and I know everyone again hated on the contract, but he's only making ten million dollars. It's not as if they're paying him to be a superstar. And if he is able to hit well, and Kemp's able to get healthy, uh, you know that three, four, five of Freeman, Kemp, and Marcakis might actually be kind of good. Um, and, and again, if, if Ender keeps hitting and, and Dansby uh, kind of gets out of his funk, uh, again, this lineup has the potential to at least be decent. And, and I think that that uh, Marcakis hitting well, of course, only uh, only ups that chance of of the unit being one of the the uh, at least not a you know, the bottom of the National League. Yeah, I mean, last year um, for the season, he had a 98 WRC+, plus, which is not anything inspiring, but uh, it's sort of a tale to Hask kind of thing for Mark Akis, like it has like, like, like it was for a lot of guys. And um, he's not... At no point has he been a bad hitter. I mean, it's something that I, I mean, I, I know I have the reputation and probably earned of being negative about, about Marquez. Most of my thoughts have to do with his defense and the fact that people think seem to think that he's a good defender and he's just not. But offensively, like he, he's going to get on base if nothing else. Uh, I, I'm not sure he's a he's a 390 whatever he is whatever he is now on base guy for the season. But um, you know, the first year with the Braves, 370. Last year, about 350-ish uh, on base percentage. That's just fine. Um, the power is what the big question is. Last year, he was still sub 400 slugging percentage for the year. That's not great. Um, but if he can just be that guy, even though he was last year, he's useful. I mean, like even with the defense last year. 
He was a one-win player, and for $10 million, there's, that's it's not terrible. It's just not. I mean, it's not an inspiring contract. It was one I never understood at the time, but even if he's just what he was last year, and his uh, what, 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 that was a worse season than the year before, he was still, quote-unquote, worth that money, or at least close to it. So I'm yeah. okay. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, he is who he is at this point in his career. Um, it's why the Braves signed him two years ago, and if he can um, kind of outperform expectations, and again, we're dealing with small samples. Um, <laughs> but if, if he's able to, uh, if he's continue to at least, uh, come close to what he's done this first, uh, the first two weeks, I think the Braves would be thrilled. Oh yeah. They would definitely be thrilled with what he does, what, what he's done so far. And, um, this is year three of four. I mean, my, my big problem with the deal when it happened was the length of it and his age. If he can yeah. just, if he can be the same guy he was last year or the year before, again, in year three, then even if you get to year four and you have to cut bait on him, then it becomes a, that is that, that deal is already basically not a disaster now. Even if, even if he's just, if he's not just awful this year, if he can just be a passable player for three out of four years, that deal's fine. Um, and it looks better than I thought it probably would look. So congratulations on uh, me being wrong on that one, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, the, the other guy I wanted to ask you about is Ender Enciarte. This is a little bit more interesting to me because Ender's suddenly hitting for a bunch of power and yeah. not doing much else. He has four home runs already, slugging over 500, but has a an OBP under 300. His, his strikeout rate's up. His bad bet's down. Uh, he looks, looks like he might have changed his swing a little bit. Um, do you put any stock? I mean, obviously, again, small sample here, but it looks like he might be an actual approach change for Ender. Yeah, I, I think uh, Ben, who who of course used to contribute to Talking Chop, he was uh, he kind of noticed it. Yeah, yeah, old Ben on uh, yeah, old old blog lord uh, Ben Deronio. Not uh, not not running Capital Avenue Club version two, I believe as well. So yeah, so we'll, that's we'll, right. We'll plug yeah. that because I, I enjoy yeah. it. I, but Ben's good at his job, so it's good. Shout out to Ben. Yeah, yeah, he's good people. Um, but yeah, you know, Ender. Um, I actually was. I tweeted it out earlier today. Um, nearly 1,600 plate appearances coming into the year. He had 10 career homers, um, and now he has four in 50 this year. So <laughs> again, 10 and 1,600 coming in, and then four in. Honestly, I think it's like four in his last 25 or something like that. The way he's hit lately. Um, so it's 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 a surprise. It's probably the biggest surprise of the year so far. I'm not really sure if it'll continue or not. Um, but to see Ender hit for power like that was. Um, it's encouraging, and if, if he's a, you know, he's already so valuable with his glove and his defense and, and speed. Um, if he's a guy who's still able to get on base to decent rate and hit for power, um, he's only going to become that much more valuable, and, and that contract extension is only going to look that much better. Um, again, I'm not sure that this power is for real and they'll continue, but uh, even if it's close to being real and he can hit, you know, 10 or 12 homers this year, um, I think that would it, obviously it would only be a, a boost to his value and. And, and what he'll be able to bring the team moving forward. Yeah, I'm the first to tell you that I still don't know what he is at the plate, and it almost doesn't matter. Like, I don't think he's an awful hitter regardless. Um, last year, obviously, he was incredible down the stretch, and that allowed him to be basically a league average hitter for the season with somewhere in the neighborhood of a 750 OPS. Um, if he's just that, we already know he's a three or four win player, and that's really awesome um, based on his contract, especially. Um, but if he's suddenly a power guy, um, things change a little bit. I'm not sure this is sustainable, as you kind of said there, and um, the way that he's hit so far has been unprecedented for his standards. So I don't really know what to take of it so far. We, we need more data to be to be sure on Ender. But again, like, he almost has to just be okay. Like I, I almost don't care what Ender does at the plate. It, it's it's not quite that simple. But if you play as as good of a defensive center field as he does and run like he does, 
like all you have to do is basically just be passable to play, and he's definitely going to be that based on what we've seen so far. Um, and he has been for his entire career. He has a 94 WRC plus. That's not great, but it's fine. That's that's all he needs to be. Um, and if the power suddenly appears at the expense of batting average, it's just going to be sort of a trade off, and it looks like it might be it might be a, 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 a at least a cognizant change from him. But I, I'm okay with kind of whatever. And I guess the only change would be if he's going to be this guy and be more of a power less on base guy. Maybe you don't want him hitting leadoff necessarily, but we're way too ahead of uh, actually thinking about that as like a real thing. We need a lot more data, but that'd be the only sort of uh, thing to keep in mind is that um, he's the only guy that's sort of a closely approximated leadoff hitter on this team right now. And if he's suddenly not going to be that kind, that type of guy, it might be a little bit interesting moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything, and we'll have to see what happens after this first couple weeks. Yep, very, very small samples, and I'm sure that's, people are going to get sick of us talking about that, but it's the only way to couch this stuff because uh, it's 11 games. Uh, even if, if, if guys have played every game, it's 11 games, and that's not enough uh, of, a, of a data sample. Um, last thing before we get out of here, man, a couple of the uh, the young guns and the and the minor leagues are uh, incredibly dealing right now. The entire, uh, shout out to Zach Diller for digging this up, actually. The entire double-A rotation in uh, Mississippi of Max Freak, Max Free, Withrow, Patrick Weigel, uh, Mike Soroka, Colby Allard. Um, each guy has at least two starts. They had, at least as of yesterday, had 49 in the third innings with a 2.00 ERA, 51 strikeouts and 14 walks. Mike Soroka has a sub-1 ERA as a teenager pitching in double-A. Like, this stuff is kind of absurd. Um, do we take anything? I mean, obviously, again, very small sample, but uh, how much does that excite you to see like a guy like Soroka, for instance, Eric's guy, sort of just lighting double-A on fire as a 19-year-old? Yeah, I mean, I find every night that as much as I'm enjoying watching the Braves and at least being respectable at the big league level, it's so much fun to just kind of open up either MILB.com or the the minor league app and just kind of seeing what the what the various pitchers are doing that night. And again, there's just so much depth that uh, regardless of what game you're looking at, what team you're looking at, what night of the week it is, uh, there's a legitimate pitching prospect pitching more times than not. And I think that's that's obviously the plan the Braves went with, and it's um, and it's working out at least well in the minor leagues. Now we'll have to wait and see if these guys come up. But you mentioned Freed, you mentioned Soroka, you mentioned Weagle. All these guys are doing what you want to see out of nineteen and twenty year old pitchers in the minors. And um, as they continue, you know, Soroka's numbers so far in Mississippi for being a nineteen year old are, are pretty ridiculous. Um, and as you as you just kind of go forward with these guys, you. You only really you're just kind of at the mercy of, of waiting on them to, to break through to the big leagues. But um, again, I think it's uh, without a doubt the most exciting part of the organization right now. And if if they're able to continue this and, and of course, uh, reach the big league level, um, th- that was kind of the Braves plan all along to, to build uh, their farm through through the system, through pitching and then and then add hitters from elsewhere. Um, and, and I think so far. Uh, the early results on that have been good, and, and you can only hope that as the season progresses, guys like Freed, uh, Weagle, Soroka, Allard, um, guys who are starting to reach the the mid and upper levels of the minor leagues are only going to keep continue to perform at the level they have and, and push on uh, push on the door a little bit for the big leagues. Uh, not necessarily this year, but you know, 2018. Um, that's kind of when the window opens up, at least in my head for the Braves being uh, a competitive, you know, legitimate team where if a few things go right and they add a few guys, they could at least talk about being a playoff team. Um, and, and we can only hope that those guys are ready to kind of help the cause once, uh, once the Braves are ready to make that push. 
Yeah, when we we knew the Mississippi rotation was going to be crazy, but uh, it's been even better than advertised, and they're also incredibly young, even for that league. Um, one other one other note: Ian Anderson, um, for a first round pick, is, is is still only eighteen year old, eighteen years old. He's pitching in Rome right now, but uh, only two starts, but has uh, some uh, has a sub a sub one ERA, striking out like fourteen guys per nine. Um, just kind of absurd stuff. And actually, this yeah. is this is anecdotal, but uh, I actually heard Jim Powell on radio. For those of you that don't know, uh, the Braves radio radio play by play guy um, talking about a conversation that he had with John Hart um, earlier this week about Ian Anderson and how Hart has referenced him as uh, potentially the best of the bunch. So whatever that means, it's anecdotal. But uh, the way that Anderson looked in, in two starts with Rome, uh, I want to ask Eric about this because I know Eric's been up in Rome the last couple of days checking out some guys there. So we'll definitely have him on the podcast in, in the future to talk about this. But another guy. That's even a st- even a lower level down, but obviously a first round pick, a top a top five pick that the Braves invested in, that, that they actually uh, are really excited about as well. He's still in the eighteen, so these guys are comically uh, comically young, Scott. I know you're uh, you're not you're not the uh, oldest guy in the world either, but these guys were like born in, like nineteen ninety nine and stuff like that. It's kind of insane. You know what I what I would enjoy most about Anderson, um, he was a guy this time last year that nobody was looking at nope. as, as a number three pick. And, and then he just kind of popped up really in the last 24, 48 hours as the guy, the Braves uh, were taking at three, of course, to kind of flush out their draft strategy and all that. But um, the fact that he was someone that no one was really talking about, at least at the top of the draft and is already, you know, top 50, top 75 uh, prospect on a lot of lists. And, and as you mentioned, what Jim Powell said about Anderson um, again, with all these pitchers, there's such a long way to go. Um, Lucas Giolito, of course, formerly with the Nationals and, and now with the White Sox, is kind of the perfect example of of pitching prospects who look like surefire aces for the next decade, and then they just kind of hit a stumbling block, and and then there's just so much uncertainty with them. But uh, the Braves know that that quantity is the way to you know stack up your pitching prospects um, because most of them aren't going to work out. But if you can get lucky with a couple of them and, and get uh, cheap aces, if you will. Um, that's the way to get competitive in a hurry. Yeah, that's the way to do it, and the Braves are obviously trying to do that. And uh, you know, again, these are very early returns, but uh, impressive stuff from the young guys so far this year. Uh, well, Scott, we've exhausted the news and uh, kind of everything we had on tap here. Anything you want to get to or plug on this fine evening? Because uh, it's only eleven games, so there's only so much to talk about right now. Yeah, um, I, I always plug it whenever I come on, and, and I don't do them per se, but the minor league recaps uh, nightly on the blog are terrific. It uh, has the stat lines for everybody, of course, and um, for anyone who does it regularly, uh, read the blog. It's, it's uh, really, I think, one of the best features of, of, all, the, uh, of all the sites. Uh, the minor league coverage on the site is unparalleled. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, later this week I'll be working on something, probably look at a um, – just maybe some batted ball profiles, something like that. Um, again, it's tough this time of year because every sentence you write could probably be followed by, but it's only been two weeks. Um, but hopefully you're able to dig into something, um, you know, a little more substantial than, you know, again, exactly that. It's only been two weeks, but dot, dot, dot. So lots of good stuff, as always. Yeah, I, w- I will second that, uh, as always, about the minor league stuff. Uh, Eric and those guys, Eric and his crew, are just incredible. And uh, you will not find better uh, stuff on the Braves prospects than on our site. I think that's probably uh, not even biased, to be honest. That's just kind of an objective thing that I'm saying and you're saying. So yep. check, that, check that stuff out, as well as major league coverage that uh, you, know, you and I try to do as much as humanly possible, as well as you know Chris and Demetrius and all those guys. Ivan, and, Ivan does ridiculous work. So also Ivan. Ivan's, uh, Ivan's advanced stuff is uh, always very, very enlightening for me. 
as uh, I'm not quite the nerd that Ivan is, and I really appreciate his uh, his nerddom in the best possible way. So. <laughs> yeah, Ivan's great. Uh, so good. So anyway, uh, thanks, Scott, for coming on the podcast, man. We'll be doing this again, of course, next week. Everybody else that's listening, please subscribe to the show. Follow us at Talking Chop, at Talking Chop on Twitter, on Facebook. And uh, until next week, stay tuned.